The world as we knew it had vanished under layers of grey. The sky was a perpetual, lifeless grey, the sun a mere smudge behind an omnipresent veil of volcanic ash. These eruptions, relentless and unforgiving, had reshaped our planet into an unrecognisable wasteland. My name is Alex. Just months ago, I sat behind a desk, eyes glued to a computer screen, my biggest worry being the daily grind of office politics. Now, I found myself in a relentless fight for survival. The suit and tie had been replaced by armour of scavenged materials. The office swapped for an ashen, unpredictable terrain that was once our home. Our team consisted of five. Emma, a former nurse whose calm demeanour belied her resourcefulness. Jake, a mechanic whose hands, once used for fixing cars, now wielded weapons. Mia, a quiet, observant ex-teacher. And Connor, a young, impulsive former athlete. Each of us had lost something, someone, to this new world. Together we formed a unit, not just of survival, but of a shared, silent understanding of our lost past. We navigated this desolate landscape with caution, stepping over remnants of a civilization now buried under ash and silence. Our days were spent scavenging what we could from the ruins, canned food, water, anything that could be repurposed for survival. Our nights, huddled together in whatever shelter we could find, were restless, haunted by the uncertainty of what the next day would bring. The ever-present ash filled the air, coating our throats and stinging our eyes. We moved like spectres through this grey world, our footsteps muffled, our voices seldom rising above a whisper, as if afraid to wake some slumbering giant. In this world, hope was a scarce commodity, yet... We clung to it. Rumours had begun to circulate. Whispers of a sanctuary, a place untouched by the ash where the sky was clear and life could begin anew. It was this rumour, this faint whisper of a better life, that drove us forward through the ashen skies. As we trudged on, our eyes constantly scanned the horizon. The ash might have concealed many dangers, rival factions, creatures mutated by this new world, or worse, the unknown. Our journey was risky, but the alternative, to succumb to despair and give in, was not an option. We were survivors, and we would keep moving, driven by hope in a world that had fallen into darkness. The day had begun like any other in this ashen world, with the sun struggling to pierce the grey veil above. We were picking our way through the ruins of what used to be a suburban neighbourhood, searching for anything that could be of use. The silence was oppressive, a constant companion in this desolate landscape. Suddenly, Emma froze, her hand raised in a silent command to stop. Years of working in emergency rooms had honed her instincts to a razor's edge. We all halted, straining our senses to detect any hint of danger. That's when we heard it, a low, guttural growling, unlike anything I had ever heard. From the shadows of a collapsed building, they emerged. The creatures were grotesque parodies of what they once might have been, twisted by whatever forces had been unleashed upon the world. Their limbs were twisted, their skin a sickly mottled grey, blending with the ashen surroundings. Their eyes, bulbous and unblinking, fixed on us with a hungry malice. Panic surged through me, 
but training and necessity held it at bay. We had encountered hostile survivors before, but these creatures were something else entirely, a new horror birthed by this darkened world. Back to back, Jake barked, his voice a blend of fear and authority. We quickly formed a circle, our weapons at the ready. Jake wielded a pipe with a deadly edge he had fashioned, while Emma prepared her medical scissors, now repurposed for a more violent use. The creatures circled us, their movements unnervingly silent. Mia, her eyes wide with fear, clutched a sharpened piece of rebar. Connor, the youngest and most impulsive among us, tightened his grip on a hefty piece of wood, his knuckles white. The first creature lunged with a horrifying speed. Connor swung his club, connecting with a sickening crunch. The creature reeled, but didn't go down. Instead, it let out a piercing shriek that seemed to shake the air around us. The sound was a signal. The rest of the creatures attacked in a frenzied blur of motion. Our circle tightened as we fought back desperately. I swung my weapon, a jagged piece of metal with all my might, feeling it tear through the tough, leathery skin of a creature. Each of us was locked in our own struggle for survival, yet we moved almost in unison. Emma stabbed at any creature that came too close, her face a mask of focused terror. Jake's pipe was a blur, striking with brutal efficiency. But there were too many. For every creature that fell, another seemed to take its place. We were tiring, our movements becoming sluggish, the initial adrenaline surge fading. Just as I thought we would be overwhelmed, a loud, piercing whistle cut through the chaos. The creatures paused, their heads tilting in unison, then, as if obeying an unseen command, they retreated into the shadows from whence they came. We stood there, panting, our weapons dripping with a strange, dark ichor. The immediate danger had passed, but the encounter left us with a deep-seated unease. These creatures were unlike anything we had faced before, and their sudden withdrawal was as unnerving as their attack. We need to keep moving, Emma said, her voice steady despite the terror in her eyes. They might come back, or there could be more of them. We quickly gathered our meagre findings and continued on our path, each of us glancing back at the shadows that had housed our attackers. We had barely covered a mile, our minds still reeling from the encounter with those nightmarish creatures when we stumbled upon a new threat. Other survivors. In this world, encountering others was rarely a cause for celebration. Trust was a luxury we couldn't afford. Through the grey haze, we saw them before they saw us. A group of four, armed and moving with intent. Their leader, a tall woman with a scar running down her cheek scanned the area with a practiced eye. They were not scavengers like us. Their gear was too uniform, too militaristic. Down, I whispered, gesturing for the team to take cover among the debris of a collapsed building. We watched in silence as they approached. Think they saw us? Connor asked, his voice barely a whisper. Shh, Emma hissed, her eyes fixed on the approaching group. In this world, people were more dangerous than any mutated creature. Desperation made humans unpredictable, often violent. As they drew nearer, it became clear that we couldn't avoid them. The woman stopped, her gaze landing directly on our hiding spot. She raised her hand, signalling her group to halt. 
We know you're there, she called out, her voice firm. Come out, slowly. We had no choice. Standing up, we emerged from our cover, our weapons held loosely but ready. The woman sized us up, her eyes lingering on each of us. You're not from the Red Zone, she stated, more a fact than a question. The Red Zone? Jake asked, confusion in his voice. Where have you been hiding? One of her men sneered, a cruel smile playing on his lips. The Red Zone is where the real fun is. The mutants there, they're something else. We exchanged glances, a shared sense of unease growing. This group was different. They weren't just survivors. They seemed to relish this new, brutal world. We're just passing through, I said, trying to keep my voice steady. We're looking for a place called the Sanctuary. You heard of it? The woman's expression didn't change. Sanctuary, she mused. A fairy tale. A place of safety in a world that's gone to hell. You believe in fairy tales? It's real, Mia spoke up, her voice filled with hope and defiance. It has to be. The woman laughed, a harsh mocking sound. Keep chasing ghosts then, but be careful. The Ashlands are unforgiving, and if the mutants don't get you, the Red Zone will. Without another word, she signalled her group, and they moved past us, leaving us in an uneasy silence. Once they were out of sight, we allowed ourselves to breathe. The encounter had shaken us, adding a new layer of fear to our journey. The Red Zone, a place even more dangerous than where we were, loomed as a new, ominous threat. And the Sanctuary, our only hope, dismissed as a fairy tale. We keep moving, Emma said, her voice firm despite the fear in her eyes. Sanctuary or not, we can't stay here. As the day waned, our weariness grew. The encounter with the militant group had left a lingering unease, but it was the unspoken thoughts about the sanctuary that weighed heavily on our minds. Our path took us through what once might have been a small town. Its buildings were now hollowed-out shells, windows like unseeing eyes watching our every step. It was here we heard them, faint cries almost lost in the whispering wind. We approached cautiously, weapons ready, minds alert. In the shadow of a crumbling building we found them, two survivors cornered by a trio of those grotesque creatures. One of the survivors, a young woman, was injured, her leg badly gashed, while a man, older and grizzled, fought fiercely with a spear. Without a word, we sprang into action. Connor and Jake took the lead, their weapons swinging with practice deficiency. Emma and Mia rushed to the aid of the injured woman, dragging her to relative safety. The creatures were relentless, but cornered and outnumbered. They soon lay still, their twisted forms a dark contrast against the grey ground. The man, breathing heavily, lowered his spear and nodded in gratitude. Thank you, he said, his voice rough. I'm Tom and this is Sarah. We thought we were goners. Introductions were made, and as Emma tended to Sarah's wound, we learned that they too were searching for the sanctuary. Their group had been larger, but one by one, they had fallen to the dangers of the Ashlands. We could join forces, Tom suggested. There's safety in numbers, especially out here. Trust was a rare commodity, and every new alliance carried the risk of betrayal. Yet the idea of additional hands, of shared burdens, was tempting. 
We need to discuss it, I said, meeting the eyes of my team. We huddled together, our voices low. Can we trust them? Mia asked, her expression torn. We don't know much about them, Jake pointed out. But they're in a bad spot, just like us. And they know about the sanctuary. Connor was looking at the injured Sarah, his face showing concern. We can't just leave them. They need our help. Emma, after a moment of thought, nodded in agreement. We stick together, but we keep our eyes open. Any sign of trouble, we go our separate ways. We turned back to Tom, who waited with a guarded expression. All right, I said. We'll travel together. But understand this, we look out for each other. No heroics, no foolish risks. Tom nodded, a relieved smile touching his lips. Agreed. Our alliance with Tom and Sarah brought a fleeting sense of security. But the Ashlands were merciless, always ready to snatch away any semblance of hope. We learned this the hard way. It happened two days after we teamed up. We were navigating through a particularly dense area, buildings leaning precariously, their structures weakened by constant ashfall. The air was dense, making every breath a struggle. We were low on supplies, our water nearly gone, and the mood was grim. Suddenly, a loud crack echoed through the air, the sound of splintering wood. Before we could react, the ground beneath Connor gave way swallowing him into the bowels of a collapsed basement. We rushed to the edge, calling his name, but there was only silence. Desperately, we cleared the debris, our hands raw and bleeding. After what felt like an eternity, we found him. He was unconscious, his leg trapped under a heavy beam. Emma, with her medical expertise, quickly assessed the situation. It's bad, she said, her voice strained. We need to move him, but carefully he could have internal injuries. Working together, we managed to free him and bring him to the surface. But our relief was short-lived. Connor was alive but in a critical state, drifting in and out of consciousness, his breath shallow. The accident had a profound effect on us. Connor, the youngest and most spirited among us, now lay vulnerable and broken. The reality of our situation settled in with a crushing weight. We were fighting against the inevitable. Tom and Sarah, though still relatively new to our group, shared in our grief and fear. We were no longer two separate groups. We were a single unit, bound by shared loss and desperation. The following days were a blur. We pushed forward, carrying Connor, who was now more a liability than a help. Our pace slowed, our resources dwindled, and the dangers of the Ashlands seemed to multiply. Mutated creatures, more aggressive and frequent than before, harried our every step. Other survivors, driven mad by despair, attacked us on sight. Our search for the sanctuary became more frantic. It was no longer a goal. It was a necessity. The rumour of a safe haven, free from ash and danger, was the only thing that kept us moving. Without it, we were just wandering in a dying world, waiting for our turn to fall. But hope was a fragile thing. With each passing day, with every setback, it waned. Our conversations dwindled, replaced by a heavy silence. We were united by a common purpose, but isolated in our own fears and doubts. The Ashlands had taken much from us, 
and as we trudged through its grey, lifeless expanse, it threatened to take the one thing we clung to desperately. Our hope. The myth of the sanctuary loomed larger than ever. It was no longer just a destination. It had become our lifeline, the thread of hope we clung to as we navigated the treacherous Ashlands. But as days turned into weeks, doubt began to creep in, eroding our faith in this elusive haven. One evening, as we huddled around a feeble fire, the topic resurfaced. The air was thick with ash, making it hard to see beyond our immediate circle. Connor, still weak, lay wrapped in a blanket, his breathing laboured. Do you really believe it exists? Sarah asked, her voice filled with hope and scepticism. This sanctuary. We exchanged glances, each lost in our thoughts. The silence stretched, filled only by the crackling of the fire and Connor's shallow breaths. I want to believe, Mia finally said, her eyes reflecting the wavering flames. After everything we've seen, we need to believe there's something better out there. Tom nodded in agreement. It's what keeps us going, isn't it? The hope that somewhere in this hell there's a place of safety. I looked at each of them, their faces weary yet resilient. We've come this far, I said. Turning back now isn't an option. The sanctuary has to be real. We pressed on, but the Ashlands were unforgiving. The volcanic ash had rendered the terrain treacherous, hiding pitfalls and unstable ground. We encountered areas where the air was so toxic that every breath seared our lungs, forcing us to cover our faces with whatever we had. Visibility was another constant challenge. The grey haze reduced our world to a few metres radius, making it easy to lose one's way. More than once we found ourselves circling back to the same spot, the landmarks indistinguishable in the monotonous landscape. It was during one of these disorienting treks that we stumbled upon a derelict building, its structure surprisingly intact amidst the devastation. Inside, we found remnants of a previous life, faded photographs, a child's toy, a diary with its pages yellowed by time. As we sifted through these echoes of the past, Emma found something that reignited our dwindling hope. A map, old and worn, but with a location circled in red. The words, Sanctuary, Hope's End, were scribbled beside it. The discovery sparked a heated debate. Was this the sanctuary we were searching for? Or was it just another dead end? A cruel joke in a world that had lost its sense of humour. We have to check it out, Jake argued, his finger tracing the route on the map. It's not far from here. If it's real, it could be everything we've been looking for. The decision was made. We would head for the circled location. The sanctuary, real or not, was our last chance. Without it, our journey had no purpose, and in the Ashlands, a journey without purpose was a death sentence. With the map as our guide, we embarked on the journey toward what we hoped was the sanctuary. The marked location was several miles to the north a distance that would have been manageable in the old world but now loomed like a colossal challenge. The Ashlands were an active adversary, constantly testing our limits. The terrain was a maze of destruction. Buildings lay in ruins, their skeletal remains jutting out like the bones of some giant, long-dead creature. Streets were buried under layers of ash, 
turning our journey into a grueling trek through a grey desert. Every step was a battle against the clinging, powdery ash that sought to engulf us. Our progress was slow and arduous. The toxic air forced us to cover our mouths with cloth, but it was a meagre defence. Each breath was a struggle, the air heavy with the stench of sulphur and decay. We took turns carrying Connor, who had grown weaker, his moments of consciousness fewer and further between. The constant threat of the mutated creatures kept us on edge. They seemed to have adapted to the ash-covered world far better than us, moving with a terrifying stealth. Their attacks were sudden and brutal, forcing us to be ever vigilant. We lost precious supplies in these skirmishes, further diminishing our already meagre chances of reaching the sanctuary. But it was not just the creatures we had to worry about. The environment itself was a maze of hazards. More than once we found ourselves on the brink of chasms where the ground had given way, or narrowly avoiding pockets of scalding steam that burst from the earth without warning. One afternoon, as we navigated through a particularly dense area of ruins, a dense fog of ash descended upon us. Visibility dropped to almost zero, and the world was reduced to shadows and silhouettes. We tethered ourselves together with rope to avoid getting separated, moving as one slow, cautious unit. The fog was disorienting, warping our sense of direction and time. Hours seemed to stretch into eternity. Our only guide was the map, its edges now frayed and its lines blurred by constant handling. As we emerged from the fog, exhausted and dispirited, a new challenge presented itself. We had reached an expansive ash field, a vast open space that offered no cover, no respite from the unrelenting sun, which glared weakly through the grey sky. Crossing it meant exposure to the elements and to any watching eyes, human or otherwise. We rest, then we cross, I declared, reading the exhaustion in my companions' faces. It's going to be risky, but it's the only way forward. That night, as we huddled together, the map spread out before us. The silence spoke volumes. The sanctuary, whether a haven or a myth, was all we had left. The next morning we prepared to cross the expansive Ashfield. The vast open space lay before us, daunting in its desolation. We set out, our pace steady but cautious, aware of the vulnerability our exposure brought. Midway across the field, our fears materialised, but not in the form we expected. The betrayal came from within, sudden and shocking. Tom, who had been walking behind, suddenly lunged at Jake, knocking him to the ground. In the chaos, Sarah grabbed our bag of supplies and the two of them sprinted away, disappearing into the ashen haze. The shock was immediate. Why? Was the only word I managed to utter staring at the direction in which they vanished. They've been planning this, Emma said, her voice laced with bitterness, waiting for the right moment to take our supplies and run. Anger and betrayal battled within us. Tom and Sarah, whom we had saved and welcomed into our group, had deceived us. The realisation that our kindness had been exploited was a bitter pill to swallow. We can't go after them, Jake said, nursing a bruised shoulder. We need to focus on getting to the sanctuary. The incident left a deep scar in our trust in others, 
we became more guarded, more suspicious, the weight of betrayal adding to the already oppressive atmosphere of the Ashlands. As we continued our journey, the landscape began to change. The ruins gave way to what appeared to be a forest, but it was like no forest we had ever seen. The trees were petrified, their branches twisted into grotesque shapes, a silent manifestation of the cataclysm that had befallen the world. It was in this silent forest that we encountered the unseen threat. A rustling sound, almost imperceptible, followed us. At first we dismissed it as the wind, but it soon became apparent that something was stalking us. Without warning, creatures emerged from the ash. They were different from the ones we had encountered before. These were camouflaged, their skin resembling the petrified wood, making them almost invisible until they were upon us. The fight was frantic and terrifying. The creatures were fast, their movements a blur as they darted in and out of visibility. We fought back with everything we had, but these creatures were cunning, attacking and then retreating into the ash-covered forest. In the midst of the chaos, Connor, who had been silent and withdrawn since his injury, acted. Despite his weakened state, he managed to grab one of the creatures, pinning it to the ground. With a strength that belied his condition, he held it long enough for us to regroup and fend off the rest. The creatures eventually retreated, but the encounter left us shaken. These new predators were unlike anything we had faced, their ability to blend into their surroundings making them a formidable enemy. It became clear that the Ashlands were evolving, becoming more perilous with each passing day. The creatures, adapting to their environment, were growing smarter, more cunning, and we had to adapt just to stay alive. As we ventured deeper into the forest, the presence of these stealthy predators was a constant threat. Their ability to blend with their surroundings meant that they could be anywhere or everywhere. We moved in a state of heightened alertness, our senses strained to the breaking point. The scarcity of resources added to our plight. With Tom and Sarah's betrayal, our supplies were critically low. We had a few cans of food left and our water was running dangerously low. Hunger and thirst became our unrelenting companions, gnawing at us with every step. One afternoon, as we navigated through a particularly dense part of the forest, we came across a small, abandoned camp. It was clear that whoever had been there had left in a hurry. A fire pit, cold and unused, and a few scattered belongings were all that remained. Our initial excitement at finding the camp quickly turned to caution. Could be a trap, Jake muttered, surveying the area with a wary eye. Despite the risk, the potential for supplies was too great to ignore. We split up, searching the camp for anything useful. I found a backpack, its contents strewn about. Among them was a half-empty bottle of water and a few energy bars. A meagre find, but in our situation, it was like discovering a treasure. As we collected the supplies, a sudden noise caught our attention. From the bushes, a figure emerged, staggering towards us. It was a man, his clothes tattered, his face gaunt and hollow with hunger and despair. Please! He croaked, his voice barely audible. Help me! The dilemma was immediate and heart-wrenching. Helping him meant sharing our scarce resources, but leaving him meant condemning him to a certain death. We looked at each other, the decision unspoken but weighing heavily on us all. It was Emma who stepped forward, 
offering the man water and one of the energy bars. We can't just leave him, she said, meeting our eyes. This could be us one day. The man devoured the food and water with a desperate intensity. He told us his group had been attacked by the creatures and he had been the only one to escape. His gratitude was unmistakable, but it was overshadowed by the reality of our situation. Our act of kindness had depleted our already scarce resources. Our dwindling supplies and constant threat of the mutated creatures had worn us down. But nothing could have prepared us for what came next. It was a trap, skillfully laid and ruthlessly executed. We had been tracking a faint trail, hoping it would lead to a water source. Instead, it led to our capture. They came out of nowhere. A group of armed survivors, their faces hard and unyielding. They had the look of people who had adapted all too well to the harshness of this new world. We were outnumbered, and in our weakened state, stood no chance against them. They took us to their encampment, a fortress constructed amidst the ruins of what once might have been a shopping centre. Barbed wire, traps and armed guards, it was clear they had been surviving here for a while. We were separated and confined in small, windowless rooms, our weapons and remaining supplies taken from us. The isolation was crushing, the uncertainty about the fate of the others a constant torment. After what felt like hours, I was taken to their leader, a man with cold, calculating eyes. He introduced himself as Marcus, and his manner was not of a man who had succumbed to desperation, but one who had found purpose in it. You're looking for the sanctuary, aren't you? He asked, his voice devoid of mockery. It was a statement, not a question. I remained silent, wary of revealing too much. Marcus leaned back, studying me. It's a myth, he continued. A fairy tale survivors tell themselves to keep going. But it doesn't exist. Out here, it's adapt or die. We chose to adapt. Why capture us? I asked, my voice steady, despite the fear gnawing at me. Resources are scarce, and you have something we need. Information, roots, supplies, anything that can help us survive. It was then I understood we were resources to be exploited. Our knowledge of the Ashlands, our experiences, were valuable commodities in this world. The days that followed were a blur of interrogations and isolation. We were given just enough food and water to keep us alive, each of us isolated from the others. The lack of information, the concern for my team, was a mental torture far worse than any physical hardship. But our captors had underestimated us. They didn't know about the map to the sanctuary or the strength of our resolve. We had survived this long in the Ashlands, adapting just as they had, but without losing our humanity. Our plan was simple, yet risky. Using a loose brick I had found in my cell, I managed to loosen the lock on my door. The guards were complacent, not expecting us to be a threat. One by one, I freed the others, and we gathered what little supplies we could find. Our escape was silent but tense. We moved through the shadows, avoiding the guards, our hearts pounding in our ears. As we neared the perimeter, a stroke of luck, or perhaps fate, intervened. A group of the mutated creatures attacked the encampment, drawing the attention of the guards. In the chaos, we found our opening and fled into the ashen night. Once we were a safe distance away, we stopped to catch our breath. 
The adrenaline of the escape was still coursing through us, but it was Emma who voiced the realization that dawned on all of us. They didn't know about the map. We still have a chance to find the sanctuary. We moved driven by the hope that our journey was nearing its end. The map, our most prized possession, was our guide through the treacherous landscape of the Ashlands. The environment grew increasingly hostile as we neared the location marked on the map. The ash was thicker here, blanketing the ground and air, making every breath a struggle. The terrain was uneven and treacherous, riddled with hidden pitfalls and sharp, jagged rocks. Despite the hardships, there was a sense of anticipation among us. The possibility that we might finally reach a safe haven, away from the constant threats of the Ashlands, gave us the strength to push through the exhaustion and hunger. But as we drew closer to the sanctuary's supposed location, it became clear that we were not the only ones interested in it. Signs of other survivors, recent and hurried, suggested that we were heading towards a potential confrontation. Broken branches, discarded items and footprints in the ash, all pointed to a large group moving in the same direction. We need to be careful, Jake warned, his eyes scanning the horizon. If the sanctuary is real, we won't be the only ones trying to claim it. The final leg of our journey was a tense, cautious advance. We avoided open areas, sticking to the cover provided by the ruins of the old world. Every noise, every movement in the ash put us on high alert. Our vigilance paid off. As we navigated through a particularly dense area, we spotted them, a group of armed survivors moving towards the same destination. They were well-equipped, their movements organized and purposeful. It was clear they were a formidable force, Avoiding them was our best option, but the terrain and the ash made a stealthy approach difficult. We decided to split up, creating a diversion to draw some of them away, while the rest of us moved towards the sanctuary. The plan was risky, but we had come too far to back down now. Emma and Mia created the diversion, using explosives from our limited supplies to create noise and chaos. As the group reacted, Moving to investigate, Connor, Jake and I made our way towards the location marked on the map. The tension was unbearable. Every step felt like a gamble. Every breath a countdown to a possible encounter. But luck was on our side. We reached the edge of the sanctuary's location without being spotted. There, hidden among the ruins and the ash, we found it. A large, fortified compound, surrounded by high walls and barbed wire. The gates were closed, but the sound of life inside was unmistakable. Voices, the clanging of metal. It was the sound of survivors, of a community. We approached cautiously, aware that our arrival might not be welcome. But we had no choice. This was the end of our journey. The culmination of all our hopes and struggles. As we reached the gates, a voice called out, challenging our presence. We explained our purpose, our journey, and our hope that this was indeed the sanctuary. The gates opened slowly, and we were met with wary but curious faces. We stepped inside, leaving the ash and the desolation behind. For the first time in what felt like an eternity, we felt a sense of safety, of belonging. The sanctuary, with its walls offering a respite from the relentless ash and danger, was a sight for sore eyes. However, our arrival had not gone unnoticed. 
The group we had evaded earlier was now converging on the sanctuary, their intentions clearly hostile. We quickly relayed the situation to the sanctuary's leaders, a small council of survivors who had banded together to create this haven. They were wary of our presence but understood the immediate threat we had brought to their doorstep. We have to defend this place, I said, meeting the council's eyes. We've all come too far to let it fall now. The sanctuary had its own defences, but they were not prepared for a siege. Our group, with our experience in the Ashlands, became an integral part of the defence plan. We were no longer outsiders. We were part of this community, fighting for a common cause. The confrontation was inevitable. The rival group approached, a ragged but well-armed militia. Our group took positions along the walls, alongside the sanctuary's defenders. Jake and Connor manned the main gate, reinforcing it against the impending assault. Emma and Mia, with their experience in weaponry, prepared Molotov cocktails and other rudimentary explosives. I took a vantage point on the wall, a crossbow at my side. The attack came at dawn. A tumult of shouts and gunfire shattered the early morning silence. The rival group charged, their leader a burly man with a scarred face, at the forefront. The battle was chaotic, a maelstrom of violence and desperation. Molotov cocktails flew through the air, setting fire to the ground in front of the gate. Gunfire crackled, a deadly chorus that was answered by the defenders on the wall. In the midst of the chaos, a group of the rival militia managed to breach a section of the wall. I found myself face to face with the attackers, the close quarters rendering my crossbow useless. It was down to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat. The fighting was brutal and personal. Every punch, every block, every move was fueled by the desperation to survive, to protect this sanctuary that had become our last hope. I grappled with an attacker, feeling the strain of weeks of hardship in my muscles but driven by the adrenaline of the fight. It was Connor who turned the tide. Despite his injuries, he fought with a ferocity that belied his weakened state. He managed to overpower the scarred leader, his actions inspiring a renewed vigour among the defenders. The rival group, seeing their leader fall, began to falter. The tide of the battle shifted, and soon they were retreating, disappearing into the ashen landscape from which they had emerged. As the adrenaline faded, the reality of what we had done, what we had protected, set in. The sanctuary was safe for now. We had defended our haven, but the cost was high. The ground outside the walls was a grim reflection of the brutality of the world we lived in. Inside the sanctuary, there was a sense of somber relief. We had survived, but the battle had exposed the fragility of our safety. The Ashlands were ever-changing, and the threats were many. That night, as we tended to our wounds and mourned the losses, the Council thanked us for our help. We had proven ourselves as members of this community. But even as we settled into this new life, a part of me remained alert, wary. The Sanctuary was a haven, but the world outside its walls was still a vast, dangerous unknown. The community initially wary of us, gradually accepted us as one of their own, recognising the sacrifices we had made to defend this shared refuge. Life within the sanctuary was different from the relentless struggle of the Ashlands. There were structures in place, routines that brought a semblance of normalcy. 
The council had organized tasks and roles for everyone, ensuring the smooth running of the community. Jake and Connor, with their experience and skills, helped fortify the sanctuary's defenses, strengthening the walls and setting up traps and lookout points. Their work was crucial in restoring a sense of security among the residents. Emma found her calling in the infirmary, assisting the sanctuary's medic. Her skills, honed in the harsh conditions of the outside world, were invaluable. She treated injuries, both physical and psychological, helping to heal the community in more ways than one. Mia took to organizing the sanctuary's meager library, a collection of books salvaged from the ruins. She started teaching the children, giving them lessons that went beyond mere academics, lessons of survival and hope. I found myself helping with the planning and scouting missions, using my knowledge of the Ashlands to map out safe routes for scavenging and to anticipate potential threats. It was a role that kept me on the edge of the community's life, a bridge between the safety of the sanctuary and the dangers of the world outside. We adapted to our new roles. We were builders, contributors to a cause greater than our individual struggles. The sense of accomplishment was tangible, a feeling that, despite the odds, we were making a difference. However, amid the new routines and responsibilities, there was an undercurrent of unease. Whispered conversations, furtive glances, there was a sense of something unspoken, a secret that the sanctuary held. My interactions with the council were cordial, but there was always a guardedness in their demeanour, a reluctance to speak of certain topics. The more I noticed it, the more it gnawed at me. What was it about the sanctuary that didn't quite add up? The community was thriving, yet there was an air of caution, of fear that seemed out of place, even in this post-apocalyptic world. My curiosity led me to explore the sanctuary, to observe and listen. The residents spoke in secret about the outer sectors, areas of the compound that were off-limits to most. I overheard mentions of shortages, of rationing that seemed more severe than what would be expected. One night, as I lay awake, pondering the inconsistencies, a soft knock on my door startled me. It was Mia, her face filled with worry. I need to show you something, she whispered, her voice urgent. Something's not right here. We moved silently through the corridors, avoiding the occasional patrol. Mia led me to one of the outer sectors, a part of the sanctuary I had not been to before. There, hidden from the main community, we found what the sanctuary was trying to hide. Rows of cramped cells, each holding gaunt, weary figures. They were people, survivors like us, but they were being held captive, treated more like resources than human beings. The revelation was a shock, a betrayal of the ideals the sanctuary claimed to uphold. The community that had become our home was hiding a dark secret, one that threatened to unravel everything we had come to believe about this supposed haven. The revelation demanded action, but it also posed a moral quandary that was as complex as the world we lived in. Mia and I decided to confront the council. We needed answers, and the people in those cells deserved justice. The following morning, we requested an urgent meeting with the council. The council members gathered, their expressions ranging from curious to concerned as Mia and I presented our discovery. 
the room fell into a heavy silence. Finally, the head of the council, a stern woman named Stella, spoke. You were not supposed to find out about this, she said, her voice steady. But now that you have, understand this. Every decision we've made, no matter how difficult, has been for the survival of the sanctuary. She went on to explain that the people in the cells were from rival factions, captured during skirmishes. They were a source of information, a means to keep the sanctuary safe. In this world, morality is a luxury we can no longer afford, Stella stated. We do what we must to survive. The revelation sparked a heated debate among us. Jake and Connor were appalled, arguing that we couldn't betray our principles, even in the face of such harsh realities. Emma, while disturbed by the discovery, was torn, understanding the tough choices required in these desperate times. As for me, the realization that our sanctuary was built on such moral compromises was a bitter pill to swallow. We had looked for a haven, a place where the rules of the old world still applied, but perhaps that was a naive expectation in this new, brutal reality. The debate was interrupted by an urgent report. A group of the Sanctuary's scouts had been ambushed outside, a sign that the rival factions were growing bolder, perhaps aware of the internal turmoil within the Sanctuary. The Council was forced to make a quick decision. We need to stand united, Stella urged. Our survival depends on it. The room was divided, but the immediate threat from outside forced us to put aside our differences temporarily. We agreed to help defend the sanctuary, but the issue of the captives remained unresolved, a festering wound in the heart of our community. As we prepared for the potential assault, the atmosphere in the sanctuary was tense. Trust, once broken, was not easily mended. Our actions were now governed by necessity rather than conviction, a reflection of the world outside the walls. As the first light of dawn broke the horizon, the attack came. It was a coordinated strike, the rival factions having joined forces in a desperate bid to breach the sanctuary. We stood our ground defending the walls, each of us grappling with our own inner turmoil. In the midst of the battle, a startling truth emerged, one that would change everything. A captured assailant, recognizing me from our time in the Ashlands, called out, his words, shouted over the din of conflict, were like a bolt of lightning. The sanctuary is a lie. It's controlling the Ashlands, creating the creatures, all of it. The revelation hit like a physical blow. In the heat of the battle, I found Stella, demanding an explanation. Her eyes, filled with regret, confirmed the bitter truth. The sanctuary was a research facility before the eruptions, she confessed. When the world fell into chaos, we continued our work, using the Ashlands as a testing ground. It was meant to be a solution, a way to adapt humanity to the new world. But it spiralled out of control. The horror of what she described was unimaginable. The sanctuary, our haven, had been experimenting on the very world we were struggling to survive in. The creatures, the toxic environment, they were byproducts of their research gone awry. The battle raged on, but the fight had gone out of me. Around me, the others reacted to the revelation with shock and anger. The sanctuary was not a sanctuary at all. It was the architect of our suffering. In that moment, the walls we had fought to defend seemed to symbolize something entirely different. Not protection, 
but entrapment in a cycle of horror of the sanctuary's making. The battle ended, more out of exhaustion than victory. The rival factions retreated, but the damage had been done. The sanctuary's secret was out, and with it, the fragile trust that had held our community together. In the aftermath, the council was overthrown. The captives were released, their stories of abduction and experimentation adding to the grim canvas of the sanctuary's legacy. We were free from immediate danger, but the revelation had unshackled us from the illusion of safety. We left the sanctuary, our group united not by hope but by a shared disillusionment. The Ashlands awaited us, a world we now knew was shaped by human hubris and folly. Our journey had come full circle, but we were changed, wiser and wearier. As we walked away from the sanctuary, the ash falling like silent grey snow, I realised that our search for safety, for a haven, was not just about a place. It was about retaining our humanity, our ability to choose right from wrong in a world that had blurred those lines beyond recognition.